Hey everyone, it's it is not mind rolling. It is I, Raghu. I get to share today a podcast with Sita Ramdas, old old friend and one of Ramdas's uh, caretakers from way back in the day, part of the the group Kripa. Welcome. Thanks, man. Yeah, no, I'm really happy to be here. Um. Oh, wait, I've got to mention something. It's an important announcement. We're going to have a Ramdas. Speaking of Ramdas, we're going to have a course, and this is presented by Love Serve Remember Foundation, which is my other hat. And it is an eight week course that's just integral to as complete as one could possibly get in eight weeks uh, Ramdas's core teachings. And it's in commemoration of the 50th anniversary of Be Here Now, which is this year, 2021. It was published in 1971. And we're, we're doing a lot of different things. But this is so, um, I think it will be helpful for a lot of people. It just puts all the material curated. I mean, Ram Dass would talk about similar themes from lecture to lecture. And they recorded all of them. I mean, it's extraordinary, right, how much of, of that we have. And, um, but there were some days that he was like, oh, so right on, or he was in a certain, uh, feeling and, uh, it was more meditative or something. So anyhow, these are all curated along those lines and it's a pretty great experience. Uh, go to ramdas.org slash life course which is what this is. So it's the uh, it's an eight-week course. Go there. It'll, it'll give you everything. There's teachers every week, and um, there's going to be movement, yoga, and movement, uh, and uh, practices on another night alongside of uh, wonderful uh, interaction with everybody doing breakout rooms on Zoom and talking about the material. Do you know about the course? I do. In fact, uh, I was just reached out to, I, I'm going to be the host for oh. part of it. So I'll be introducing Tanasara. Oh, great. She's wonderful. Also, From and For God is Sitaram Das's book that just came out. And uh, you'll have all of the links and so on that'll be in the show notes on this uh, uh, podcast. So, uh, and we're, we're, you know, there's a few things in here, more than a few, actually. You really got to a bunch of different, there's essays and poems and so on. It's really wonderful. And you, you do come to some very salient points around the path and around what we're going through now. Uh, so it's, uh, it really addresses a lot. So there was a lot for me to think, oh, yeah, let's talk about that. You know, it was really cool. Uh, but I want to go, we got to go way back because people sure. need to know a bit of your story and how you met Ramdas, but even before that, what were the things, you know, like Ramdas's new book, uh, Memoir, Being Ramdas, he, it's all of his experiences basically uh, that were reflected through the light of Neem Karoli Baba and how he saw his entire life as being a succession of things that were quite well organized for him to uh, get to in, go through the whole Harvard thing, go through the psychedelic thing, go into go to India, get that roadmap of consciousness, and come back and share it all. So, uh, what? Yeah, you. We all have that story. Uh, and sure. uh, what's yours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. One thing, too, that maybe I'll tie in when I tell my story, but something that I've been reflecting on recently as the 50th anniversary of Be Here Now comes out is that when I was a caregiver at Ramdas's is when you all had organized that small 40th anniversary get-together. Oh, 2010, um, was, that was when you came aboard? Yeah, I, I hadn't been at the house that long then. And I remember you and Krishnadas and KK Sa and... and uh, oh, yeah. And Parvati actually was collecting stories for her book, and I got to be—I got to be like in the room, manning the camera as she was like interviewing some of the people. Oh. Um, so I—I I remember that. But uh, even before that, I mean, what drew me to Ramdas in the first place? Like, 
you know, as you once told me, when I first kind of told you my story way back when you said, you know, that's the same thing that happened to us where I just, I found B here now and it just, it just felt like it was speaking directly to me. You know, I was probably like 20 years old at the time mm. and I've been experimenting with psychedelics. I mean, that was definitely my first four-way, foray into the spiritual path. Uh, and uh, then just started reading different spiritual texts and with most of them, I felt like I was kind of having to do some translation, you know, to kind of just dig underneath, like look past different cultural things or historical aspects. Or, But when I read Be Here Now, it was just like it was speaking right to me. And that led me on a journey of slowly kind of just gravitating to more and more of Ram Dass's books and coming across Miracle of Love. And, and at some point, I mean, it really just, it felt like just this wild thought. I just, I was thinking about all the people that really inspired me who I'd love to have met, you know, people like Aldous Huxley or whoever. And I realized that the person at the top of that list that I want to meet more than anyone was Ram Dass and that he was still alive. And so I just thought, you know, why not put in a good effort to try and meet him? Wait, now, and, before uh, that, though, let's go back sure. before. What even dawned on you that there wasn't some other, uh, shall we say, reality that wasn't what our conditioning and our karma suggested, especially after we got into the whole separation thing after they gave us a name, a me, me. So, yeah, what happened to even... You know, there's always something that introduces the idea that there is something beyond the me, me, senses, ego, mind, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, that's interesting too. In fact, that was one of the things I was reflecting on when reading, you know, Ram Dass's memoir, which, you know, it, it is incredible. But just thinking about how, you know, sometimes we view past events a little bit differently, you know, with time and mm. When I first got into the spiritual path, I mean, I really felt like it was just a hunger to kind of know, like, what is the truth? And and I still think that that was true. But I also, looking back now, I see how much pain that there was, you know, just in that sense of me and my identity and not being good enough. And just, you know, there was all sorts of suffering. And I was constantly at that time kind of running from myself in different ways through drugs and alcohol and different distractions. You know, I fundamentally at my core, like, didn't feel okay. Um, but I also had the programming that that it wasn't okay to admit that you didn't feel okay. You know, so even in the beginnings of my spiritual path, you know, I, I don't, I, I didn't really allow myself to fully see how much pain was kind of driving the way. Um, but it it really was psychedelics that first opened up those cracks of mm. just something else and. At first, I didn't even know what that something else was, but it was enough of a crack that it allowed me to start to even entertain the possibility of some spiritual reality, you know, to start to read these spiritual texts. Because I was essentially raised agnostic, you know, very scientific materialist. Um, and that was kind of my core worldview. So, yeah, it was, it was really the, the psychedelics that opened up a, a possibility of there being something else. Yeah. There's a long line on that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, and be here now. I mean, it's amazing. It just goes on week to week to week of people. Well, they write into the foundation going, well, God, I got to talk to her. Is there a place I can meet up with like-minded people? I just took some mushrooms and read be here now. Going, That sounds like somebody would say that in 1969 or something. Yeah. So it's amazing. Amazing. All right, well, now we got to hear, how did you actually get over to Maui and meet him? And, of course, I'm familiar, but I bet there's parts that I have forgotten. So <laughs> let us know. <laughs> there probably is. And I remember, you know, too, there was this sense of while Ram Dass was living, I felt reluctant to kind of share parts of my story because uh, – it really involved me just deciding I was going to go there and meet him without having any connection. And 
that didn't feel like the kind of thing I just wanted to put out in the world as being okay to do. <laughs> but, you know, now that there's mm. not as much of a danger. Right, right. Um, right. But, uh, but that, that's, I just, I just, I had to meet him and I told my friend this and, and he said it, I still remember the moment he said, well, why don't we just fly to Hawaii and just meet him right now? Like, let's just do it. And, we looked at plane tickets and we saw, I still remember the amount. It was round trip for $260, which from Seattle, where I was living at the time, which there is nothing even close to that window either before or after this specific date. And it was just far enough out that I could probably get the time off of work. And we were just so caught up in the moment that we just bought the plane tickets on the spot. And shortly after that, you know, reality definitely sunk in and I started to realize just how uh, just nonsensical that idea was. Um, so I started to do a little bit more research and, you know, ramdas.org. And I wrote into the the foundation uh, at that point, I, I wrote in for, I found the route for the heart to hearts that he was doing. And so I wrote into that. And at that point it was Mike crawl who was fielding those emails. Um, <laughs> that's how, you know, your organization has grown quite a bit since when I first wrote. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I didn't get a response at first. And so I just thought, okay, well, so I kind of started to think about other ways to rationalize the trip. Oh, we could do this. We could do this. We could do this. Um, but something else happened around that same time, which is that I was obsessively listening to Christian Das uh, on Pandora. This was before Spotify or any of that, Pandora Radio. And I had no idea that they knew each other, that they had the same guru. I didn't know any really? of that. No, I had, I had no idea. So I'm, I'm, I'm reading at this point, I'm reading Miracle of Love. I don't remember what percentage of the book, but that was the Ram Dass book I was on. I'm listening to Krishnas all the time. I have this plane ticket. It's already purchased. It was for the beginning of June of that year. And I got so hung up on the bus story which I know you know really well and all, people listening know really well. I just, and I still don't know why out of all the stories in that book, that was the one that I was just like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about this. It just, and I was founding myself really? thinking about it all the time. Let me just, uh, I'll give a, how about I give a core thing? We don't, I won't Great. tell the whole story. It's way too long, but basically it, it's a story Ramdas would tell about being in India and, moving from a meditation course uh, to, well, eventually to Delhi, which is where he was going, and s being uh, suddenly the thought and the word from somebody else to make a left-hand turn. <laughs> they had not known where Maharaji was at that time. I wasn't at that course. Uh, but uh, So that's why they had been doing these crazy amount of meditation courses, because they couldn't find him. So that stopping point for Ramdas, where he thought, "I don't know, I want to go, I want to go to Delhi. I can get an ice cream and you know, be really nice, warm bed, you know, bed after all that uh, austerity stuff." So the idea is that, of course, he did make that left turn, and then he did meet Maharaji with this whole group of people, and uh, found that uh, Maharaji had woken up in the morning, or they had woken up. And he told the people in the house, Dada Mukherjee's house, 28 people, whatever it was, 28, 30 people are coming, prepare breakfast or lunch, whatever it was. And then they met him and he brought them back to the house. And he, when Ramdas found that out, it, it, so this is the core of the thing. Really? I was making a decision? Really? <laughs> what is really going on here? That's so. That's the beauty behind that. Because we every day, um, I I had a great mentor who you you know of, K.C. Tuari. Krishnas talks about him a lot. I don't know how many times he would come up. He was, I wish he, he was like, you wanted to just be with this man, and every day it was all mindfulness. You imagine having somebody completely present every day, and you were. I mean, it was just incredible. But he'd come to me and say, my boy, if you think you're doing it, you are lost. 
Oh, right. <laughs> oh, right. So that's what that story is. If you think you're doing it, you are lost, including thinking you're making major decisions. <laughs> Not that you, but of course, we have this beauty of the ego and the, and the mind. They're good servants, and we do things every day and uh, hopefully come from the right place. But yeah, wait a minute. So how did that story get you? Like, yes. So, so I, no, I'm glad you, you told the story, and I like the Casey Tory quote because it it definitely that this was this moment for me. So the plane tickets already bought. No one from the foundation has got back to me. I'm feeling like the whole idea is just crazy, and I watch, and, and I'm listening to Krishnas all the time. I don't know that he's connected at all. And then I'm, I watch Fierce Grace for the first time. And I don't remember if it was in the bonus features or in the movie itself, but in that movie, there's a clip of Krishnas telling the bus story. Wow. And it just, it was just this moment of just, okay, Krishnas has the same guru and he was on that bus. And I don't know. And it was in that moment, I just, I felt like it was going to work that I was going to meet Ramdas. And after the movie ended, I looked up to see when Krishnas might be coming to Seattle next to do a kirtan. I'd never seen him. And he was scheduled to come the day before I'd already bought my plane ticket to leave to go to Hawaii. And I, I, I still remember that moment. It just, it just became very apparent that there was just <laughs> other things going on. Yeah, right. Something's happening here, but we don't know what it is. We do, do not we, know. Mr. Jones. And so I wrote again, and I did get a response back, and it was very formal. You know, I'm sure it had been pract well practiced at that point. You know, your message has been passed on. As you know, you know, Ramdas is very busy with his schedule, and he's very focused on his healing. But if, if there's time, you know, they may contact you. But I just wrote knew that, that it letter. Was, that was my crawl. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe you sent it to him. No. <laughs> I wasn't working with the foundation then. Well, no, 2010, I just started actually. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think you were because I do remember that summer. Well, anyway, I'll tell the rest of the story. So, yeah, yeah. so I go and I meet Ramdas and I tell him my whole story. And he just simply says, Well, you know, no one comes in front of me unless Maharaji sent them. And, you know, I didn't fully understood what that meant. I don't think I still do, but I've definitely started to see it is, you know, one of Ramdas's gifts is he just invited people into that worldview that he lived in of Guru Kripa. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, you know, he said, if you happen to be back on island, because I asked, well, I didn't ask, my friend did, but it was my idea. He said, you know, Ramdas, we want nothing more than to just be as close to you as possible. So if any work you need done around the house, you know, we'll come do it. And Ramdas said, well, you know, we always need help with something. If you were on island, maybe there would be something you could do. Um, but for me, that, that was enough. Mm. And then I Can't flew back to Seattle and settled mm. all my stuff. And then this is where you tie in a little bit. So there was a small window of time in the beginning, I think when you just come on where Love Serve Remember was kind of creating their own like social media, almost Facebook platform. Do you remember that? Yeah. I mean, that was uh, actually, yes, Rita actually was the one who uh, got that, got us going in the, in the whole digital world, really. So I, I remember writing something, you know, just kind of telling a little bit about my story and you commenting. And uh, I remember that blew my mind, you know, just someone from Love Serve Remember that was there and, you know, like commenting on my thing. I, I, so I, I remember that actually. But um, yeah, and so then I, you know, I, I came back to Hawaii. I, I found some guy in Paia for a while that would let me pay him a little bit of money to sleep on his back porch. And I started showing up at the house as a gardener. I was just a gardener for a while. And then eventually they had asked me to move in. Mm. So that is my meeting Ramdas story. Mm. Kind of 
the beginning of the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you ever think of it that way? I remember because when I met, I didn't really have that thought with Ramdas, uh, but when I met Neem Karoli Baba, I had that thought. Oh, okay, it's over now. Just going to have to figure out how to live through all this karma I've created, <laughs> past <laughs> lives and now. You know, and uh, this is the end. This the door said. Well, I met Sita Ramdas then probably in 2010, I would imagine, because we were there for a bit in that summer. Mm -hmm. And and then in successive years, you were there for several years, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was on island total for three years. Yeah. yeah, and that was at a time when things really started to change in terms of the amount of people that were coming to Maui to meet Ramdas or come to these retreats. And it got, you know, and as he aged even further, he needed more help and so on. And he was very, very specific about the kinds of people he wanted to hang out with on a day-to-day -day basis, and which was one of the most basic things was the referential attitude and that people use to separate themselves from what they think is higher. And he didn't like that. He wanted right. to be right here with everybody and bring all of your humanity with you and at the same time live on that other plane. That was his such a basic thing. You can live on more than one plane of consciousness at the same time. And uh, you uh, quickly got, in my eyes, into that uh, program. And uh, how about before, you know, there's a couple of things I want to talk about, um, just different points of view, that uh, some of the points of views in, in the book, but uh, just a couple of little, I mean, so Sita Ramdas, there's a lot of moments of just sitting with Ramdas when nobody was around. Yeah. And uh, we all did it at different times, and it was quite beautiful because you immediately got into a place where you didn't think you had to speak. You had to uh, interrupt any of what the the flow in the now was. And, and then all of a sudden, these little crystals of magic would, would come through just and hang out with somebody who... Uh, let's say was a little further along the line in terms of not being caught in um, self-seriousness and believing in our thoughts, all of it. So yeah. give us something. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the uh, first thought that comes to mind is just to reinforce kind of what you said, that I, I don't know that silence has ever been as rich in terms of just the silence that I experienced around Ram Dass. Mm -hmm. Just totally just that sense of just being okay you know not talking and then and then because that was so rich then seeing my own neurotic things come up like oh maybe i should tell a joke or maybe you know but it just made it easier to see that stuff you know around him mm, yeah i i there's just little things like like you know you talked about you know with uh, tawari you know imagine being with someone that was just so present moment i mean I was never around Tuari, but I just, that's kind of how I felt about Ramdas. Just, I, I remember one time, you know, because, you know, with the aphasia and other things, sometimes his sense of time also wasn't so great. And this happened a few different times where he would come down for dinner and it was like way early. Like he just got confused about the time. And I remember one time going down, it was on the back patio, and I said, you know, Ramdas dinner isn't for an hour. He said, oh, really? I said, yeah. He said, okay, well, I'll just sit here. I was like, okay, do you need anything? He said, no. And I went up and I, you know, I was helping with dinner, or whatever. I, I didn't do that much to help. I was mostly just chit-chatting with the people cooking. <laughs> um, but you know, I'd peer out in the window and I'd see him and he wasn't like meditating like the way that I might meditate, you know, where I'm like trying, you know, and I'm, I, he was just there. He was just sitting there and he was just staring out at the ocean and he just, to me, he just seemed completely content. Like he just, he could have been upstairs sitting, but he was down there. And so that's what he was going to do. And 
yeah, you know, just little moments like that, just really, it's a lot of the little things that have kind of stuck out in my mind. Mm. The, the, the other thing, you know, as you brought up, like being there at the house day in and day out. I mean, I don't want to say all my projections fell away because I think I project about everyone all the time, but you know, a lot of the projections did in terms of seeing, you know, Ramdas as some glowing being on a stage, right? I mean, I definitely saw him as a human, but that's what deepened this so much for me is because even with his humanity, and of course, even his teachings, Ramdas was always so honest about that. Um, that sense of present moment awareness and also that sense of of love, you know, as Ramdas talked taught a lot about loving awareness. It, it was real. I mean, I saw that Ramdas really did actively practice and rest in that space of loving awareness where when he said that he loved his wheelchair and the pain in his body or his dark thoughts, right? I mean, that was real. That was a real deep standpoint that he lived from. And the fact that that could shine through in the midst of his humanity, it, it just gave me hope for myself. Mm. And it, it, it definitely strengthened my faith in the, the path. Mm. Beautifully yeah. said, yeah. I, and I could say I would have said the same thing after I first heard him and then met him. It was such a relief that, oh, God, it's okay. It's yeah. okay. And within that okay, that other ineffable, you can't explain thing happens. And that's such a key thing, huh? Yeah. And, you know, well, one fantastic thing and what endears Ram Dass to so many is his um, capacity for self-inquiry and honesty and being able to share that in a way that very few people have and communicate it in a way that uh, so full of humor. I mean, we used to call him, you know, the, he was the Lenny Bruce of spiritual talks, you know, back in the day. And, uh, but the reality of him coming through, you know, as a psychologist and all of the work he did around the mind and all of the work on psychedelics, with psychedelics. Uh, it, he, so that offering was there and it's something that uh, maybe you can, give me feedback from where you think this is, related to the fact that I believe that really part of this legacy of these teachings is around the um, combination of that open heart perspective of loving awareness, bhakti, and discriminating wisdom. And he really represented that discriminating wisdom in, in the way that, I mean, well, this whole course I described uh, when we first got on has nothing but that. I mean, it's just a way to give us a different perspective to get move away from that belief system that we have in our stories, basically. And um, yeah, I'm, that's such a, uh, I, so it's sort of the combination, it's, it's a weird combo of Hindu and Buddhist representation, really. That's why all these Buddhists were at our retreats in Maui. I've said that many times, you know, that wasn't an accident. Yes, they were all good friends of ours and, of course, Ramdas. But uh, that other, that thing that's happening behind all of this, you know, it's, there was a reason. And I really believe strongly that that's uh, a wonderful uh, combo. Have you yeah. ever thought of it in those kind of terms, in terms of? Yeah, well, I mean, even Ramdas, even when he explained loving awareness, I mean, I've heard him talk about, mm. you know, awareness from his Buddhist background and then the love from his devotional background. Um, but I also think, you know, that sense of that discriminating wisdom and also just Ramdas's sharp intellect in general, you know, when I, when I listen to his talks, I mean, there's all these different lenses that I can view them from, but 
one lens that I think has been really interested in viewing a lot of his talks, especially when he talks about Guru Kripa specifically, which every time he brings it up, you can almost sense this reluctance, you know? And there's this sense of essentially, I think because so many of us in the West have been kind of turned off from what we see as religious practices that, you know, overtly kind of devotional oriented practices, uh, they just, they seem kind of maybe woo woo or superstitious or less than. And Ramdas's ability to kind of state that path with the discriminating wisdom and with all these other, you know, psychological factors and things. I mean, he was really creating a framework where people like me who are definitely hardwired that way with those biases, um, could start to allow myself to kind of open up into that. And I, I mean, I think that that is a true gift. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, some of the things that you bring up in in the book are all around spiritual discrimination or, or uh, discrimination uh, that allows us to connect with uh, a truth through intuition, which you also talk about. Um, and one of these things is around uh, how we walk around uh, with certain beliefs that we have that uh, your thing is around masquerading as, as truth. Yeah, what uh, what prompted you to even uh, to think of it? I'm thinking more, you know, these things, uh, as soon as I read them, I think of... Uh, my own example, in, in, uh, and I've had so many beliefs over the years and being absolutely right, okay? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. That's one something funny, you and I share. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we all share that. One funny <laughs> thing I'm just remembering, and this is like very small. It's not about any grand philosophical thing. It actually was a health thing. Ramdas got hepatitis in India. And I had had it previously and had all of the recipes for the right way to deal with this and what you need to eat and do and the whole nine yards. And I I was I went over to give him that download as he was lying on a on the floor <laughs> with a thin mattress under in Allahabad. And as I went over there, another uh, satsang brother, Kabir, was was there. He also, he was doing exactly, except completely different story. All of what he was advising was just his story, was his belief system around this. And I, I sat there, I watched and I go, holy shit, I'm going to be doing, I did the same thing. I want to do the same thing and look, you know, look where we are caught. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, all of these writings, I mean, it's really, when I say that it's a core practice of mine, I mean, it's it's kind of how I wrestle with these things. And specifically what prompted that one was, you know, when I left Ramdas's house, right? I mean, there I am, I'm with my spiritual teacher and everything's kind of taken care of. And I was doing a lot of, you know, practice and, and I'm, and all of the work was clearly connected to him in some sense. So, you know, I could, t- I was living a, you know, quote, spiritual life. And when I left, I mean, it was a conscious choice that I'd made. And it was in large part because I met uh, my partner who I'm still with. And, and so after leaving, I mean, I had this running story of just, that I had left behind my spiritual life and that I was becoming more worldly. And, and it caused me a lot of, you know, unnecessary suffering. I mean, it just, it was just added layer on top of everything. And it was so thick that, you know, at one point when, when life was really hard and was struggling to pay the bills and, you know, we were fighting a little bit, my, my solution was that I needed to leave all of that and I needed to go to the Taos Ashram in Taos, New Mexico, Neem Kroli Baba Temple. You know, I contacted the manager at the time and and uh, he had talked to Hanuman Das, I remember, and it was like all approved. I could go there and do seva. And my bus ticket was bought, you know, it, and I, I was sure of it, you know, and it 
because I was connected to spiritual truth, I knew that that's what I needed to do to get back on the path. And um, it was the simple words, you know, from my girlfriend, she just said, you know, I, I feel like this is a cop out. I feel like you're doing this just because life is hard right now. And I just, I felt this crack and I just, mm. I knew that she was right. And um, yeah, you know, my, my ideas about the spiritual path, our ideas about that truth aren't, aren't the same. And I, I think this is true for a lot of us, especially those of us who have had openings from psychedelics because those experiences are so strong and because everything happens so quick, I, I think we don't notice how quick our mind comes in to kind of put a belief around whatever that was. And, and we take that belief and we hold, we mistake that to be what that ineffable opening was. Whereas mm. we can hold that loosely. I mean, it's been my experience that every time I come back to that non-dual truth and catch a glimpse or a whiff of it, it refines my understanding and that these kind of rigid holdings, they don't actually serve anything, but just preventing me from kind of constantly recalibrating myself to that. Um, yeah. yeah, the gigantic uh, defense mechanisms that we, and we get, and we get used to them too. And they're comfy, yeah. you know, because comfy, we want to yeah. be comfy. So yeah, yeah that's a great story. Um, you know, one of the things that, I like to talk about a lot. I mean, you talk about faith in the book. Uh, and you also talk about trust. I encourage people to start out here, and trust is a much more navigatable term in my mind. Faith is like out there, religious. It's what? You can't pinpoint it, and, uh, you know, and it's been associated with a lot of killing, you know, wars. Yeah. But trust, okay. So, uh, I mean, I think in, in here, um, you say trust trust in our deepest self. Um, and what feels right may, may seem as it comes from somewhere else, as if we're supposed to, what we are supposed to do is somehow different than what we want. Right? Uh, this is very astute. But when we start to talk about trust in our deepest self, I mean, I, uh, the best way to explain any of this is, is personal experience, the only way. And a billion times I've said the first moment, I mean, this is all, this is going to be a Ramdas podcast because Sita Ramdas and I are, that's how we're connected, basically. And, uh, and it's in a happy moment. I've, I've actually done a, a number of podcasts, Sitaram does, with uh, just different people who were some uh, you know, older friends, Jack and, and Trudy and uh, Sharon and like that, and Joseph. And they were so delightful because everyone had a different view. But it, mm -hmm. under underneath all of it was only one thing that love only one yeah. thing so uh so it's great um but i looked in those eyes the first second that i met him in montreal and felt this field of uh complete completely feeling embraced vibrationally and no judgment no nothing and nobody wanting anything so they talk about you know that movie we made uh, becoming nobody. Uh, it's just exactly that. No Richard, no Ramdas. I was the only thing that was uh, manifest. Everything else was just a space in which I could just completely be. Be here yeah. now. <laughs> it was in that moment. But I had gigantic trust because I hadn't had that experience of maybe with my mom when I was very young. And that trust led me all the way to Neem Karoli Baba, who one of the first thoughts I had when I, when he actually burst out of the doorway in Kenchi was, oh shit, that's what Ram Dass was about, <laughs> you know. And we, you know, many of us have have that uh, didn't need Maharaji in a body or not, of course. Uh, yeah. But that's the trust i mean and you and you get that trust through 
I mean, you were listening to Krishna. Some trust was being engendered just by virtue of that. Um, and it's it's music, it's kirtan, it's uh, reading a book, meeting a teacher. There's so many psychedelics. All of it engenders this kind of trust in that ineffable place, right? Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's it's interesting because, right, like I didn't meet you know, a Maha Siddha in the body, right? Like you all. Um, but I did meet all of you. And and it's it's interesting what this sense of trust because, you know, from being around Ramdas and from hearing all of the dinner conversations of you and Krishnadas and, you know, Radha and Parvati and just all of the amazing people and just hearing all these stories, you know, it, it did, it deepened that sense of trust, you know, that, that this is real, that this path that had been given to you all, um, that it, it works and that it's real and that we can walk it. And, and being around Ramdas, especially and seeing the depth of his consciousness and, and the fact that all of you said that you don't have to meet Neem Kurli Baba in the body to have a relationship with him, you know, that, that sense of trust is what allowed me to just take those steps, right? Because I mean, I think that's what you're talking about is trust doesn't have to take knowledge. We don't have to know if this is real or not. It's just a willingness to kind of just take that next step on the path and see what happens. Yeah. And that's that's what I gained from all of you. And I think that's incredible is that trust in another person doesn't require them to be perfect, you know, some fully cooked being. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. the trust that um, manifests as a something, we don't know what to call it, deep, deep, deep feeling, something behind our minds. Yeah. It's impossible to, to really try and um, explain it. And that is why once that happens in my mind, then there's something about faith, uh, which it expands into this place that you don't need to know. You have something in this book, Radical Uncertainty is, is a really important as well but yeah that to me is uh, is the core of what it is that you can breathe suddenly start breathing a little bit easier right something so a conversation i had with uh, mirabai star actually hmm. so this was uh rita had organized a showing of uh Ramdas's film, and it was a gathering at, in Santa Cruz. Mm. Um, it was a memorial for Ramdas, and Kripa was invited to do the kirtan, and, and Mirabai Star was there, and she spoke, and Hanuman Das spoke. So after there was a small gathering, and at Rita Green's house, and uh, we were talking in this concept of this discussion about faith and belief and the difference. It kind of came up in the communal discussion just for a little bit, and. I said my piece, which was, you know, that I've found it's been my experience that faith and doubt can coexist. And Mirabai Star said something really interesting. First, she said, oh, that's totally right. And, you know, Mirabai Star has this way of saying things that make you feel totally seen and sound like feeling really good. And mm. But she followed it with something that has really stuck with me, she said. And I would add that they actually have to, that doubt and faith have to go together. And and that that i think that really illustrates the difference of what we're talking about is that you know doubt is a mechanism of the mind that brings us to that discriminating wisdom it's it's what helps us see what kind of beliefs have kind of attached themselves to that faith that might not be serving us anymore mm. um, because that faith is it's it's a non-rational it's a non-intellectual thing it's this depth of knowing that's a not knowing you know it's it's just that depth of presence and any of our ideas around it, um, they should be open to inspection. And, you know, I mean, even in this kind of vaccine debate, you know, a lot of people are using this idea of faith, like their faith in God is a reason why they shouldn't get a vaccine. You know, that, that level of discussion, that cuts off any type of, you, you can't discuss after someone says that. <laughs> yeah. So it's, yeah, you know, that sense, you know, doubt and discriminating wisdom and faith and yeah, it just it, it it really does all work together. And and as the faith grows, I mean, this has been my experience, my ability to 
uh, inspect even spiritual concepts, um, it gets easier because it's not based on those concepts anymore. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, you, you mentioned, you know, the people like me that met the Siddha Neem Karoli Baba and that you didn't. I thought you did, though. <laughs> you did. You told me that you, uh, you dreams, one particular sure. dream, that, and it's in the book, too. Yeah. I remember you telling it, though, about being a puppet and a puppeteer was... How do you uh, remember that? There is, you know, I mean, okay, I'm going to say it from, because people ask Siddhima, everybody out there, Siddhima Maharaji, thank God, left us this uh, Durga, <laughs> the goddess Durga, as a human who is really our human mother, Indian Ma, as well as uh, who she was deep uh, behind personality. And uh, she would say, because people would ask about dreams. And she would say, there is no difference whatsoever between people who saw Neem Karoli Baba physically and people who had a dream about him either before or after he left that particular body. So I, I can't tell you how many people have described dreams to me where they, yeah. they seem to me no, no different, just the body how what it looked like the positioning of of his arms and the way he did all that back um, completely double jointed kind of thing just little details it's not a scientific survey but i yeah i'm she said that and that's my experience as well yeah i mean there's right as you talk about this sense of trust and growing in the faith i mean i there's no it's just, it's now my core worldview. Neem Kurli Baba is my guru and I just, he just has my heart and yeah, no, I mean, it. There, there, there's no question that he is in my life and just running the show and yeah. But, you know, the ability to allow ourselves to be open to that yeah, I mean, that's why I like you bringing up that sense of trust. I mean, it really did come from, mm -hmm. you know, interactions with other people, you know, and I mean, that's why satsang is so, such a powerful aspect of the spiritual path. I mean, I, you know, especially since Ramdas left his body, the importance of satsang for me has just grown so large because when I'm with other devotees or when I'm with you right now and just you know, even just bringing in these names and talking about this, I mean, it, it, it does, it, it brings up that presence more towards the surface. Mm. It's, I, I feel like it's one of the most powerful practices I have is just being around other yeah. people in the satsang. Yeah. Buddha said yeah. the same, right? Sure. So his, uh, one of his disciples came and said, so what's most important? You know, there's the three vows, you know, refuge in the Buddha, refuge in the Dharma, and refuge in the Sangha satsang community. And you would expect, or at least I expected Buddha to say, well, in the Buddha, and it's in the Sangha. So, and that presence, and by the way, let me, let me just, I mean, I said that thing to you, which Siddhima said to uh, people, to us uh, in Kenji a long time ago, uh, around darshan, dream, darshan, physical plane, not different. Uh, uh, and, and the same reality is that presence that you just described. It, yeah. There is only one thing going on, and Maharaji said that to us every day, subek, there's only one. And that means that one thing some people get it manifested by uh, an old man in a blanket or right. uh, the 16th Karmapa or whoever is of that, uh, um, that grouping they call Siddhas. Right. And that is just a u universal. They are not separate. In fact, right. My my favorite story is I went to see the 16th Karmapa physically in Los Angeles in a black hat ceremony when I got anywhere near him, six, eight feet from him. 
I had this blast of the same experiential behind it all thing that I had with uh, Neem Karoli Baba. And I went, holy shit, really? Oh, wait, there's only one thing going on here. And yeah. those that are in that beyond duality place and still in a body express that. And so it, it the, the, it's the, as Surya does, Lama Surya does likes to call it the big Maharaji. Right. So that's what we're talking about. It's also interesting to me, this, there's this interesting aspect too of like the, the deepest way that we have to name it, you know, like, cause when, when I say Neem Curly Baba, I mean, yeah, sometimes it is a form, like even if it's a, a form in my mind, you know, like a subtle form, an image of his body, but oftentimes it's just, that's just the name of that presence. Mm -hmm. But there's still something really sweet in that sense of just recognizing that, um, that our heart kind of has these root names like there's just that there's something that we want to call it you know and um that's that sense of it's all one and there's this diversity of expression and and that's also there's something really rich in that well bhakti is the devotee longing for union with the one basically and but it's a um, it's a Dual duality method, and uh, some people, uh, K.K. Shah, who is our dear mentor who left right after Ramdas, uh, he didn't want to leave that. That's like Sri Ramakrishna, he didn't want to leave right. being in that kind of devotional attitude with the god with Kali. And when someone said, Hey, I can show you the non dual, you know, I can give you the, the essence of that it which is beyond all form. He said, okay, I'll try. And he immediately went to that place because he was already in that place. And then, but he went, no. And he's, I don't want, I want to stay loving Ma. Ma. I just want to stay in that. So that that's a devotional attitude. Uh, and KK used to express it to me all the time. I do all these great Skype, Zoom, Skype at the time, uh, sessions with him where he'd express that. Uh, so it's a marvelous thing. It's the gopis. It's uh, yeah. It's so delightful. And Ramdas played in those fields as well. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, it, I think it is good. A little bit of that discrimination about uh, sure. the reality of what we can build around that. And you know what? You, <laughs> Trumpa Rinpoche, you know, Trumpa Rinpoche, Tibetan, great Tibetan Lama, he used to, so we used to go with Ramdas because my father had a farm just literally an hour and a half from Taylor the Tiger in Vermont that uh, Trumpa used to spend a lot of time with. And there was the summer after we came back from India, and he used to call us, "Oh yeah, those Ramdas loving lighters." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, oh, yeah. It was so great. We used to laugh about that. Yeah. Oh, I, I also think there's something. I thought about this a lot, right? Because in this sense of bhakti and, and being dualistic, and I, I've been thinking about it, it's really only dualistic in the intellectual sense, but like that sense, right, of Ramakrishna wanting to stay in that devotional mood. I mean, that devotional mood is love. I mean, that is that presence, right? So it's like we're utilizing this particular framework. But what it's connecting us to is, I mean, it is that same essence. I mean, it's that essence of love. It's just for a devotee, what's going to excite it more is that kind of devotional love language poetry, which is dualistic. But what it's awakening isn't. Um, mm. And I think about it like that because there, there is this sense of bhakti path being like lesser in some way. Um, but <laughs> I, I think it just works on a different logic model. Um, I hear you, <laughs> but I'll tell you what Roshi Joan Halifax, I did a podcast with her and Duncan Trussell. I believe he was there too. And I asked her about uh, 
God, you've spent all this time with Ramdas. What about Maharaji? What is, uh, you know, because that's all he refers to all the time. What does uh, he mean? What do you see? And she said, um, when I look at his picture, she said, all I see, and I look in his eyes, I see emptiness. And Ramdas had just before that, when asked in another seminar of some sort, what you know, his experience of Maharaji in in a similar way, he went, he just started thinking, you know, just of his experience. He went off into that place where he communicated with Maharaji. And then he just, his eyes just, he just had drifted and he went, he, he's, it's just empty. He said the same thing, empty. And then, she, I think she looked at me and said, yeah, well, eventually, you know, you'll go beyond the duality thing. And I went, are you kidding? You've probably done a gazillion more lifetimes here than you're this Zen Roshi uh, who is like one of the uh, most courageous, uh, independent, uh, and I mean that not because uh, you talk about independence in the book, which is a whole other thing uh, to talk about. We'd need another podcast just around that, thinking sure. that that's uh, freedom. Uh, but it was just her way of relating and... Uh, opening to it all and talk and, and talk about um, really living in impermanent and uncertainty and accepting that is she uh, it's a very accomplished and I know you spent time with her too I mean, she sure. used to come every year uh, even if she wasn't coming to a retreat to Ramdas's so um, I just think that <laughs> she laughed at me by the way when I said that, oh God! Yeah, you know we don't even have it. We have no choice. It's fun to look at this stuff, but sure. really, it's just uh, uh, what happened to you. That great story of the ticket to Maui and all of these events that happened around it, uh, and then you just at some point you go, okay, all right, <laughs> yeah. It's okay, yeah. whatever you want, whatever you want. Um, you know, and that's, it's funny, uh, last night actually, uh, Christian, you know, he does these uh, wonderful Thursday night uh, Zoom things and, or uh, whatever, live streams. And uh, somebody asked him about faith, mm. his own, I guess. And I'm not quoting verbatim, but it was something like, well, I know Maharaji completely, everything that I need to become free is happening. And he said, but at the same time, I have total faith that I'm going to screw up every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, yeah, that, that I thought, yeah, that keeps everything in balance, right? Absolutely. You know, what, what's interesting is, because Ramdas has talked about this in some of his talks, especially in the 90s, he talks about you know, because he would he would do extended Buddhist retreats. I mean, he did all these different practices, right? But for him, you know, he would talk about how he didn't see these as really different because his core practice was Guru Kripa, which was that for him, whether it was doing Buddhist meditation or singing Kirtan, or that was his way of that was just the Guru's grace unfolding in his life as he mm. you know grew towards that and. And in my time with him at the house, that sense of Guru Kripa, I mean, I felt like that was much more front and center for him. I mean, I remember the time I asked him, like, Ramdas, what what is your practice? Like, what do you do as, for a practice now? And there was that silence. And he said, I just hang out with Maharaji. You know, that's that's what he said. And later I heard him say it a little bit. Maybe he had thought about it more. He said, I just love everything and hang out with my guru. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and that's, I think in Guru Kripa, I mean, because that really is a, I mean, that's a really deep and intimate place where kind of that bhakti and that non-dual truth, I mean, it, yeah. they come together because right. it's, it's, you can't talk, about, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I am speechless now, you yeah. know, it's like. <laughs> no, no, but yeah. that's it. You, that's it. It's a bullseye. 
And the, in fact, the temple in Kenshi, Nimkaroli Baba's temple, was originally on the sign when you went over the bridge there and the arch as you went through. It said, Shri, 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 Ad, uh, Nimkaroli Baba, Advait Hanuman Temple. What? <laughs> Nandul Hanuman <laughs> Temple? Right, yeah. and that is it exactly. And and the great story of uh, Krishnadas and I were with him. I had he had a bad knee. We went over to Kenchi. Uh, no, it was in Vrindavan actually. And we went to the temple. Nobody was supposed to come, but he had a bad. You know, I helped him go over there. He was really in a lot of pain. And Maharaji, I mean, the miracle did the miracle thing and healed him and all that. You know, it's like Christ kind of a thing, which I don't even think about what I. The story for me, the great story, is him looking at Krishnadas's notebook, and uh, he had Mahamudra Buddhist uh, prayer in there, and Maharaj had it translated and said, "Bahota chat, very good." He said. Then he flipped the page, and there was a picture of him, and he said to Krishnadas and I, "Who's that?" And you know, uh, very funny, it's you, and Nai Buddha, and we got that transmission through him by virtue of whoever it was that was um, the universe, which self-identification, whatever was needed, we got. And yeah. whatever wasn't needed that we happened to choose and make radically screwed up mistakes in our lives, it was fodder for transformation. Uh, and uh, Fierce Grace, Aramdas got the ultimate and managed, yeah. uh, you know, he gave him the consciousness to be able to um, love everyone through that pain and through that uh, discomfort and dependence on people. I mean, I don't know, <laughs> we used to bug him all the time about that. And he'd say, well, I wrote a book, how can I help? Now it's a book about how can you help? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, it's the bringing together of the uh, reality of, from the non-dual uh, perspective, which is what Maharaji lived in, and at the same time he loved from that place yeah. and had all of the fun in the world with these crazy young hippies who happened to come to him in 1970. Oh, boy. Hey, great to hang with you. Hey, yeah, nice opportunity. Really good. We haven't yeah, done this really good. In, a, in a long time. And uh, yeah. Everybody, uh, from and for God, pick up Sita Ramdas's book. Uh, <laughs> I kept telling it, um, from and to God. I don't know why I thought of that. From and for God, yeah. So yeah. you're gonna have a link on the show notes and uh, to get the book, which uh, hel helps uh, Ramdas's uh, where he lived, has been turned into a sanctuary uh, and led by Dasima, who took care of Ramdas for many years, called Hanuman Maui. And this book uh, and uh, whatever proceeds are going there to help support. And uh, God, I hope we get together to be able to see each other eh, in Maui at the yeah. end of the year. We'll see. Yeah, me too. And yeah, oh, like we'll have I'm Kripa ready. has a, a nice uh, Hanuman Chalisa record, which is also part of helping support there. And there'll yep. be a link to that as well. Yep, absolutely. And the book also, half the proceeds go to Hanuman Maui, and the other half specifically go to Kripa's service outreach work, the work that mm -hmm. we're doing in prisons. And um, so, yeah. yeah. And hopefully that'll all start up again soon. Hopefully. Yes, hopefully yeah. soon. Yeah. Although, Incarcerated people still have not been given any priority for vaccines. I, yeah, it's horrible yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, somebody used to say. Yeah. So thank oh you so boy. much for being here, Sita Ramdas. This is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and uh, check out that new Ramdas course that's coming up in May. And uh, whatever else, we have so many. Uh, Mirabai Bush has a new podcast. You should check that out. We have uh, some other great announcements on the Be Here Now Network. So keep an eye out, and we will see you next time. Namaste. Namaste. Namaste.